Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Gary, you've got something for us to talk about today. Yeah, so I had an issue recently where I had some of my infrastructure at home go down. And I kind of realized that I was starting to burn out a little bit on managing a load of stuff particularly having gotten married recently and now having the wife acceptance factor creeping into the house. And I guess my question is, at what point do you just say enough is enough and just buy something off the shelf that you know is going to work, that your significant other is going to be able to use, and that you don't have to spend time managing? And this really chimed with me. In the last month, I've moved from a flat to a house i've had another child (laughs) so i've got a two and a half week old baby and all sorts of extra responsibilities have come from having a house including security and cameras and multiple times my wife has just said why are you doing this why do you have to do it this way why does it take so long so i definitely feel that and as my life responsibilities increase but I can't help but feel, I don't know whether it's guilt, but there's certainly a sensation of like, I I want to do it the other way, but I don't have time. And is that wrong? You know that the rug's going to get pulled out from under you if you do it the other way, right? Exactly this, you see. So with the CCTV, I looked at the FOSS solutions. I'm not going to buy a Google Coral for 250 quid or, or, you know, I know you can get slightly cheaper and mess about with Frigate, Shinobi, ZoneMinder, all of these things. Because the consensus when I'm doing my research is that none of them, apart from maybe Frigate, is complete for the purpose that it's meant to be for. And I'm trying to protect my home and record from the cameras I've got set up. So I just bought Blue Iris and I paid for the license. And it's very powerful software, but it only runs on Windows. And it's exactly that, Dalton. Like, I've bought a version of a proprietary piece of software. Now, the machine is going to be single use that I've got it installed on. It It is basically an NVR. It's an NVR on the cheap, but it just doesn't sit right with me, even though I know it makes sense, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and that's the issue that I have. I know that these proprietary solutions I'm buying and putting into my house, say I bought the same cameras as you have, Chris, the TP-Link Tapo cameras, mainly because they were cheap and I could just plug them in and firewall them off and record them with something. And that's broadly fine, but I know that at some point TP-Link are going to shut down the cloud service that I need to use to manage them. It's all going to go horribly wrong, and I'm going to have to buy something else to replace them. But at the time, I'd moved into a new house. I didn't know what the area was like, and I needed something that I could put up. And I just went for those because they were cheap on Amazon, and I could just pull the RTSP feed off of them. This is it, and with my journey with that, I've just got one at the moment, but I put it on a VLAN without any internet access and then realized that it uses broadcast across the subnets and basically really cripples the application. So you have to leap onto the same SSID or do some incredibly advanced routing, which I don't have time with a two and a half week old baby to configure. So I've just put it back on the subnet and much like you, I think, blocked with a firewall rule. But it's a shame because... I prefer tinkering around until I find the FOSS solution. And so it's hard to shake the idea that you've failed in some way if you take the thing from the shelf and just use it. Well, I'm going to say that you have failed. (laughs) 
Oh. <laughs> but I will also say it's fine to fail in this sense. Not everything has to be fast. You don't have to do that. You have the choice to either spend the time and invest that energy into finding the FOSS solution, or you can just buy something off the shelf, use Windows, use proprietary software, proprietary hardware that needs a cloud service, because how much is your time worth? Yeah, and the other thing that I did this with recently was networking. So I moved house about six months ago, and obviously the ISP router they provided was awful, and we needed a few access points around the house and stuff to cover the house and garden and the rest of it. And I'm more than knowledgeable enough to go and set up a PF Sense box or an Open Sense box or something like that. But it got to the point where my wife was just saying, Why are you messing around with this? Why is there a PC sitting under our TV? Why can't we just have a router like everyone else does? And it's kind of at that point where I said, Do you know what? Actually, yeah, because all she wants to do is have an SSID that she can connect her phone to and connect people's devices to when they come around, and she doesn't really care. So we just ended up going with some Unify stuff, because it's, although not inexpensive, fairly solid, and it stays out of my way, and I don't have to manage it that much. Whereas I fear if I put in a PF sensor or an open sense, I would spend quite a lot of time tinkering with it. I think I just picked the, uh, well, I hope this thing stays around for a while approach from the beginning, because when I was setting up most of my infrastructure, I was already volunteering a lot for open source projects. So the amount of time that I had to do things for myself and my family wasn't all that much. So I've got Unify access points and a Unify router and router, uh, <laughs> two Synology boxes. I just never really went the set up your own Docker host route with any of it. Yeah, and this is broadly the solution that I've ended up with, particularly because with my job, I'm traveling a reasonable amount and I just need stuff at home that works so that when my wife is at home, you know, I'm not getting tech support calls at stupid times when I'm 100, 200 miles away saying that something isn't working. So we ended up in a similar situation to you, Dalton, where the Unify router, Unify switches, Unify access points, Synology boxes for storage, although I did abstract away the Docker stuff. So the Synology boxes are actually running Synology's VM software, and they've got Ubuntu VMs on them with Docker on top of those. Mm -hmm. But I just needed something that allowed me to set up a reasonably secure home network that I wasn't going to have to manage, I've obviously got applications that I want to run in Docker. I'd like to have a VPN exit point at home because traveling a lot, I'm on hotel Wi-Fi or you know a slightly sketchy 4G connection that a VPN kind of smooths out a little bit. So I kind of ended up in that position where it was what is the minimum viable stuff that I can have at home that satisfies my want for you know open source fun stuff to play with but doesn't get in the way of my wife needing to use the Wi-Fi or turn on the lights or look at the CCTV cameras. And I think I've landed on a reasonable balance, but there's still a bit more management and a bit more room for failure than someone who's just got you know their ISP modem and maybe a NAS that they run some backups to or something. Hey, there's nothing wrong with using your ISP's router and having a self-built NAS that you throw some backups on. 
Stop describing me as some peasant. <laughs> well, my ISP's router was awful. But yeah, I, I get your point, right? Like having this this fancy setup at home, I don't think precludes you from being interested in the open source community. But like Chris, I do feel quite bad for the fact that a lot of the setup I've got at home is just proprietary hardware that I've got very little insight into what it's doing and that I just have to trust. And as someone who is a proponent of open source, it just doesn't sit well with me. It feels dirty almost. It's hard though with Wi-Fi and with networking equipment because frequently equipment has, you know, if you think about NAT acceleration, that's often proprietary. So if you run the open source software, you lose it and the performance of your router suddenly drops because you can't offload NATing to a proprietary firmware and the Wi-Fi suffers because some of the blobs in the firmware for the Wi-Fi drivers just aren't available if you run something for us. And you start to think like, at what price freedom? Like, I know that if I run the stock firmware on these devices, I get twice the Wi-Fi throughput and I can push this router to push four times as many packets. Like, why am I punishing myself so much just to fulfill my FOSS ideals? I mean, it's the same reason that we're not all sitting here using ThinkPad X200s with LibreBoot, right? There's a point that you have to be pragmatic. Yeah. And I think even from what you two have said, Dalton and Gary, like, running a unify system is still not what a lot of people are doing and that, and, and not to pick on joe but that is you know it's fine if it works the problem i've got is i signed up to now broadband because it's the cheapest provider the route you get with it is absolutely shit so you have to do something unless you're in the smallest flat in london because it just doesn't cover more than about two rooms if you just leave it there uh, again please stop describing me as if it's a bad thing to live in the smallest flat in london <laughs> <laughs> but i think you'll find that with virgin media you don't get a router you get a super hub it's super hub and it's i think i've got a super hub three as well wow so it's three times a super yeah don't push my Puma 6 buttons, Joe. The, the, the Super Hub 3 has one of the shittest chipsets known to man that was the subject of a class action lawsuit <laughs> because in the firmware of the modem chipset, which of course is proprietary, there was a huge latency spike issue for ages. Now, granted, most people use the Super Hub 3 to stream Netflix. So if you have random latency spikes, it's not latency critical. You've buffered enough footage that the video plays. Most people that use it. But if you're online gaming or doing something that's incredibly latency critical, it was dreadful. And it took them like six to 12 months after release to sort it out. And they kept saying that they patched it and they hadn't. And it is now just about okay but it's just like Dalton said at the beginning the problem I've got is you're at the whim of pushed updates and a lot of this stuff now has automatic updates and cloud dependencies so like when we have an AWS outage like suddenly Eero stops working that's what makes me feel a bit I don't know dirty or concerned I've then done this because my wife's complaining and then it goes down and she still tells me and goes, why is it down? And I'm like, well, go and ask Jeff Bezos because AWS is down instead of my local infrastructure. But would you rather blame Bezos or you? Well, <laughs> asking me if the, I would rather blame Bezos or me is very different to asking if my wife would rather blame Bezos or me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> because when the internet doesn't work at home, 
And my wife knows that I'm an IT consultant. The buck stops with me, no matter whose fault it is. Yes, I agree with Gary. That's the problem. Whether it's the infrastructure and the the kind of closed source provider that's failed or my tinkering, it's still me that fixes it and me that gets the flack that work can't be done, Netflix can't be watched, etc. Well, this is exactly why I have just used the Superhub, because I know that as long as that works, all of my other tinkering with stuff and my various connected devices to that can just be unplugged and my wife can connect her laptop directly to it and it is going to work as long as the internet works. And not knowing that much about networking, I didn't want to go the, the OpenSense, PFSense route and even something like Unify or whatever. I, I just didn't want to introduce more complexity to have control that really is a dangerous thing for me because I just don't know enough about it. Well, I think it's even dangerous for me as someone who does understand it. Like, I run, obviously, the Unify stuff at home, and broadly I don't touch that unless I've got, you know, firewall rule or something I want to change. But running other pieces of the infrastructure myself, like running Pi-hole for DNS, if I suddenly need to reboot my Synology box that Pi-hole is running on in a VM, I've got to wait until my wife has gone to bed because suddenly when DNS isn't working... That's my fault, even though it needs to be done. Say, even running those kind of minimum viable, or I guess what I would define as minimum viable critical services myself, becomes a bit of a pain. Yeah, that's why I have two pie holes now, Gary. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, the problem is that I have two, but they're on the same underlying hardware. So I can reboot the VMs, but it's when I need to reboot the Synology box that the VMs run on. Yeah. Everything's gone. That's why I've got two uh, separate pieces of hardware that it's running on as a failover because, but yeah, again, that's, that's extra overhead. And how much do you value your time to be maintaining those two separate physical instances just to have like redundant local DNS service? <laughs> like it becomes a bit silly. My wife enjoys clicking on ads on Google. She'll search for something on Google and you get the list of products at the top and she quite enjoys clicking on them. And Pihole was blocking them because they're on a googleadservices.com domain or something. She's like, why don't the ads work when I'm on the Wi-Fi? These only work when I'm on my 3G. And I'm like, I'll go and search through Pihole and disable that. And then, of course, in a few weeks' time, it'll be the next ads on Instagram or Facebook or whatever that she wants to click on. And it, there comes a point where the trade-off of me being nice and comfortable and knowing that these things are blocked at a network level my want to do that is eroded by the fact that I have to continually go in and tweak and disable these things because most normal people don't think like us. They don't care that there is tracking and stuff on these adverts. They just want to Google it and see the picture of the piece of furniture or whatever it is and have it open. And they don't care that that's some profiling going on that will mean they get advertised TV units forever. But I also want those things. I just don't want them without the tracking. Yeah, but having those things without the tracking is, is nigh on impossible. That's the trouble, isn't it? Yeah, and it feels like it's getting more difficult as we get poison chalices. Like, uh, you know, DNS over HTTPS seemed great, but then you realize that it can then be used to stop firewall rules for DNS and serve adverts in a way that can't be blocked and things like that. So I feel like it's it's a constant 
you've set yourself up for a pitched battle of swimming against the tide of the way the internet has changed. And that, that can become very, very tiring. I have the same thing where, you know, certain times something that my wife needs for a work infrastructure requires me. It doesn't happen very often, but I have to leap into pie hole wherever I am and just allow that. Or I've shown her now how to set DNS locally on her laptop when she's working. So she just manually sets the DNS to Google or Cloudflare or something. So it just lets things all through so that she can get past that. Oof. Exactly. Oof. And there's only so many oofs you can do before you're like, I'm just going to Curry's and buying something. (laughs) (laughs) Give me the super box. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the point I've gotten to with like a lot of the underlying technologies that I use even to host stuff myself. Say, if you asked me a year ago, all of my underlying VPNs were either OpenVPN or Wireguard, but I got sick of managing the key exchange and stuff. So I've switched it over to Tailscale, which like it or not, isn't really an open source service, right? I was doing you know SSL termination and hardling, hardening all of my Nginx configs myself. But more recently, I've just switched to putting Cloudflare in front of everything because it's free and it works. And although it's a proprietary service, my time to continually harden and all of that stuff has been eroded away by life. So I do find that my patience is very quickly running out. So it's good to know that I'm not the only one, I guess. I think it's important to apply the ideals of digital minimalism here more than anything, which you might think that digital minimalism means like taking the lowest amount of time that you possibly can on your computer or, you know, reducing your screen time. But it's more about evaluating the choices of technology you make against your own values and whether or not they bring you joy and picking them based on that and accepting that, yeah, if I buy this Eero, it's going to cause pain in a couple of years when Eero shuts down the Eero service and has a new one. But at the same time, I got two years of really good Wi-Fi out of it. Maybe that's worth it in exchange for the amount of time you didn't spend setting up your own Linux tool thing. Yeah, that's a good point because you know, when we moved house, obviously it was cause to go and set up new home automation stuff. And at the old house, I was setting up you know, ESP32s and Sonoffs that were flashed with different firmware and all the other stuff to do a lot of home automation. And it was hooked into if this, then that. And you know, I had Python scripts and stuff running on the home server that would turn the radiators on at a certain time. I'm getting anxiety just listening to this. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was a lot of work. But like at that time, I was not married and I lived on my own. And I had two, three hours in the evening to mess with it. But when we moved, we all have iPhones. We had a couple of HomePods in the house already. My wife has a Mac. I have a Mac for work. So we just set up HomeKit and... As much as I hate to say it, it works a lot better than the hacky setup I had with ESP32s and Sonoffs and random Python scripts firing off and the rest of it. And I can open the home app on my Mac and I get the cameras and I get all of the light switches and it works in a way that I understand. And more importantly, I guess it works in a way that my wife understands. And when someone comes to my house, they understand to say, I completely get that. And it would be way more minimalist to not have that stuff. But this satisfies my need, I guess, to have some kind of smart home with automation and the rest of it, 
whilst making it usable and acceptable for other people. Digital minimalism isn't having the least amount of devices or the least amount of screen time, though. It could be having a great lot of those things, as long as it's bringing you joy and meeting your values. Does it spark joy? That's the question. Exactly. I get the feeling that this has been quite the confessional for all of us here, (laughs) admitting (laughs) that we somehow don't use all of the FOSS solutions that we possibly could. Forgive us, audience, for we have sinned. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Do tell us, audience. Show at linuxafterdark.net. Are you the same? Have you given up? Do you compromise more than you feel that you ought to? Do let us know. But we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. (laughs) 